Hey everybody, we are so excited to share the new vision of 514 Church. I'm here with our leadership team, Wes Martin, Carmen Smith, John McCambridge, and we wanted to share with you guys how this whole thing started and how we arrived at the vision statement that you are about to hear and read for the first time. We're so excited. We took the whole team, um, our, our leadership team, on an offsite visit, uh, what was it, uh, early in January. And, and uh, we, we just spent three days really praying and, and thinking about how we can lead this church. One of the things that came up was, maybe we need to put some different language around this vision statement to what we really believe. This whole burden started to unravel. We sat down and we said, um, you know, where do we want to go? What do we want 514 Church to really represent? And you know, we, we want to be for something. We want to be for people. And so we started to wrestle with, does our church really represent the heart of Jesus, which we think is people? Yeah. Like people, people, people. Do we care about people who don't know Jesus, who don't come to 514? And so we started to wrestle with, what does that look like for us to maybe take a step towards that. Yeah, and, and I think to me the most beautiful thing about our faith is that our faith is not really a passive faith. And sometimes we get mistaken and we think that, you know, when uh, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, that means that you're here waiting for heaven. And I think that the opposite is actually true, that once you come into a relationship with Christ, now you are commissioned to be a part of the mission of bringing heaven to earth. And we have a picture of that in Jesus, and he was here, and what he was doing was he was in the midst of people's brokenness, in the midst of pain, in the yeah. midst of, of all of that, and he was healing and helping and bringing restoration to people's lives. And I think that we as Christians are called to be the exact same way in the way that we build relationships, in the way that we build bridges across cultures, and in the way that we come and bring this gospel restoration to people's lives in our own communities. We bring it to yeah. the people that we live right next door to, right. We bring it to people that are on the other side of the globe. Yeah. We get to represent who Christ is. That's what yeah. Christian means, right. little Christ, right. to the world, right? So we have a mission at 514 Church, which has never changed and will never change because it's based on the Great Commission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And now we have this new vision. This new vision is so incredible because it does kind of wrap up what you guys talked about it's us taking what we think the heart of God is and then bringing that to people. I think a question we ask too is, you know, we want to grow. We want to grow as a church. We want more people here. We want more people to hear this gospel message. And so how do we do that? And we believe that it starts with all of us, you know, at a heart level, caring for people, loving people, and seeing them come to Christ. And I think one of the biggest uh, and greatest adventures we can have in our own faith is to have God say, okay, I'm gonna use you, you know, to be a part of someone finding Christ. Mm -hmm. And so our vision statement, it represents that. We're gonna move towards um, what that looks like. Part of the vision that has driven us for seven years has been what Sunday morning church looks like. But this new vision is more about what every person at our church looks like all the time, all the time. It's not just come to church and experience this dynamic interaction and teaching. It's you become 
a mission of your own. You go, you have a burden for people. It's, it really is a game changer for us. So you guys wanna tell them what it is? Yeah. Let's tell them what it is, man. All right, here we go. To cultivate. In everything we do. Jesus followers. Passionate about reaching people who don't follow Jesus. So there it is. This is a very important day for us at 514 Church. If you're visiting today or you're watching online, we are so glad you're with us. It's, it's a huge day. Scaffolding is a series about the church redesign and what we're doing is realigning our hearts to what we believe God wants us to so that we can be the church that God has called us to be. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about this first word because we went through months and months and months of putting together this vision statement and we understand that when you read this, you may might wonder what does that mean for me and what does that look like for me and Joel what's going to change and how's the church going to feel different and all those questions and it all really kind of starts with this first uh, this main first word here to cultivate because that's what we have to do we know that in order for this vision statement to come to fruition that we have to talk about it lead it give examples um, have strategy around us doing this through you as leaders to, to the people of the church and then you as people of the church going and doing this and being this to the people um, whom you're around all the time. This is what we're supposed to become. This is a, a different way to say we are supposed to be people who go and help and reach people. When we did our That's Deep series, we said Jesus defines what depth is, and he said it's helping and reaching people. And so everything we do is supposed to turn us into a group of people who are growing up in Christ, who are following him every single day, becoming more obedient, becoming smarter in terms of what our faith means, trusting him more every day. All of that is so that we can step out of our space and that we can help people know him. Because that's when your faith becomes very, very real. And of course, you have to interact with the world you live in. And there are times when just your faith, it protects you, it brings you peace. But Jesus gave us the perfect example. Jesus gave us the perfect example of what a faith looks like through him and how we're supposed to emulate that by stepping out of heaven to be here, to give us an example. And then when he left, he said, now you go and do what I just did. Go and do what I just did. And so that's what this is. And we know that vision leaks. Scriptures say a couple things about vision. It says that you have to kind of remind people about it. It also says that without it, we're in trouble. Without vision, we're in trouble. We need something to look at all the time so we know where we're supposed to go. Scriptures say um, without vision, people perish. The people will perish. And so we have to constantly say, look at this, let's head this way, this is what this looks like, and we know that vision leaks. We know that if we tell you all the time, we remind you weekly, we remind you daily, we remind you, you know, every minute through whatever it is we're doing, and you're reminded that as you pour this vision into your bucket, if you will, that as you walk through life, it leaks out and you need it to be refilled over and over again. And so for us at 514 Church, for this thing, 
to take place, we have to start this cultivation process. And the word cultivation is like farming. We have to plant the seeds and till the ground and prune and harvest. And we have to go through a constant cycle because we have to do this all of the time, all year round, and see people come to know Christ, and that's our purpose. Now, we know that that's something that can be difficult to hold on to, and we know that that's something that everyone needs to align around, and that's what scaffolding is about. Scaffolding is about taking who we are as a church. It's about taking what we've done and, and stripping away anything that is in the way of us becoming what Jesus wants us to become. And we believe that this vision statement represents that. And so, I've said this last week, I mentioned it in that video, the strategy of 514 Church in terms of our Sunday morning services is not going to look much different. In fact, our Sunday morning services represent that vision statement. That we're kind of in what we do, trying to get people to follow Jesus so that we can bring other people who don't know Jesus into a relationship. And we want that to multiply, move into your hearts, and become your burden. And then all of us together move forward uh, on this new vision. So in this series, I want to do a quick recap, and then I want to tell you how we're going to start this cultivation process today. Because what it really, really starts with is something that has to happen in this room this morning for us to see this vision come into action. Week one, I said the church is built on Jesus plus nothing. Jesus had an interaction with one of his uh, disciples on earth where he said, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said, on that I will build my gathering of people. I will build a gathering of people. It will grow when someone calls me savior and worships me. That right there is how I build my church. What happens in church is we grab onto all kinds of other somethings, and the somethings of church become more about why we're here than why we should be here. And so we have to strip away those somethings at a heart level and go, why am I here? Ask that question. Am I here because I love Jesus? And if you're new and you grabbed onto something like you liked something about it, it was convenient, you liked the way that the music was, you liked someone that you knew here, all that is fine. We're not saying that's bad. But what actually grows the church is when you place your faith in Christ and start to worship him and follow him. And so we have to be careful that it doesn't become more about something than the person of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of the church. And then week two, I said the church can become more about us than Jesus. And I used this basketball because we talked about the gravitational pull of people groups and how we can so easily become a closed community. Uh, the gravitational pull of the church is inside. Basically, if we don't do anything, and just people in general, if we don't turn out and look out and think about the people who aren't here, we will naturally garner interest and cultivate ourselves. And so we just kind of drop the way that a basketball would drop. That's the gravitational pull. If you don't do anything about it, all we care about is us. And the church becomes more about us than Jesus and what Jesus cares about. But when we care about what Jesus cares about, then we are filled with an alarming sense of motivation that says, oh, we have to go. Oh, they're not here. Someone's not here. I'm alarmed at the fact that there are people who aren't here, and this is not about me. I care about what God cares about, and so we break the gravitational pull by being filled with what God is. Now, this, this, this balloon uh, represents the heart of God, and I think, um, you know, how do you go overboard with the heart of God? I mean, 
I think we did. Uh, so, but this is the heart of God that ultimately exists to leave. Ultimately exists to leave heaven, to leave the us and go to the them, and it's alarmed. And when we match God, then we live like God, think like God, behave like God, and that's the picture of what's supposed to happen when we're alarmed, it moves us. And I told that story about how the, the person who lost the coin was alarmed, so they swept the house. The person who lost the sheep was alarmed, so they left the 99. That's how you break the gravitational pull, is you start to think about them more than us, and it's all because of Jesus. And today what I wanna talk about, what I'm gonna take us through is the beginning of this cultivation to make sure that we are passionate about reaching people who don't follow Jesus. So if you're a Christ follower in this room, I believe that the whole of your faith, that everything you are, that everything you're doing, your growth, your study, your interactions with people, your, your, everything that this faith journey looks like for you, I believe that the purpose of that was so that God would put someone on your heart, someone, a person, and that that person and their absence from this community would alarm you. And that you would, like the Father, take shape and pull away from the gravitational energy that brings us about us and move in the direction of that someone. Move in the direction of that someone. And ultimately, it starts with knowing that is God's heart. That is God's heart. And so if you want to care about what God says you should care about, you have to understand what's going on in the heart of God and what moves him. And so if the church is built on Jesus plus nothing, we, to help Jesus build, we need to have the heart of the Father. Because you have Jesus who is supposed to be the savior of the world and he's the one who stepped out of heaven to reach us and so if he's the one who broke the gravitational pull and leaving heaven and leaving himself and took on the form of a bond servant and just totally emptied himself to come into our world, then there's something behind that that has to get inside of us and move us outside of our space. Holler. Okay, so here's the deal. We have to gain the heart of the Father so this is the beginning of cultivation. This is the beginning of cultivation. Let me put this in front of you. When we love Jesus, we love what he loves. You see, the epitome of friendship is similar interest. Similar interest. C.S. Lewis talks about how friendship is sparked when two people find the same thing funny. Because they both look at something and enjoy it. Similarity. You take that into move into all the areas of your life of a a sports team, food, a person, you all start to like, now we have similar interests. So what we have to do in order to gain the heart of God and gain the heart of Christ and gain the heart of the Father is understand what he's interested in. Understand what moves him. Understand what takes the heart of God, what takes the person of God and moves it out of its territory and moves it into a place that transcends the trajectory that we all assume he would keep because he's God. And then that heart becomes our heart and we transcend the trajectory of where we thought we would be because we care about what God cares about. And ultimately, what God wants for all of us and the cultivation that has to take place is he has to do 
basically some resurrection move type of power in our lives, in our lives, where we have to gain his heart. We have to have our heart, the Bible says our heart of stone can be turned into a heart of flesh. The Bible says that beauty can be made from ashes. It talks about how dead things can come to life. And ultimately, when we don't have the heart of the Father, we become bitter, hard-hearted, and we miss what is important to God. And so God wants all of us in here to focus on his heart, learn about his heart, garner his heart for ourselves. And when that happens, 514 Church will truly start to be a very different type of animal. It will be different. Because every single one of you, instead of just experiencing it's all about me, it's all about what I want, you will have the Father's heart and something will start to to change you. Something will start to move you and you'll start to care about someone. You'll just start to care. And you'll see that that is what God wants. And ultimately what we see in the scriptures is that God, he wants his kids to have his heart. God wants his kids to have his heart. He says, this is what moves me and I want what moves me to move you. And I said this before, if we really wanna look at what the body of Christ should be, which is the local church, then we have to look at the body of Christ's work. So we have to look at where God's heart is and what Jesus did on earth to show God's heart to us. And before we do that, I want you to take a quick piece of inventory. Where is your heart today? When you think about the local church, where is it? Is it on what you want? Like what is moving you? What has motivated you? What has brought you here today? When you go through your life, where is your heart? Just answer that. Do you care about someone who's not here? Do you care about yourself? Do you care about the music? Do you care, what is it that's driving you? What is that motivation? And then what is God's? What moved God out of heaven? What moved God into your life? And do you and him share the same burden? Do you and him share the same burden? I believe that if the answer to that question was yes, we would not be needing to have a change of vision. I believe that every one of us has to be honest and say, my heart is not where God's heart is. And you know what? That's okay. You have to admit that. We have to go, God is so loving. He's so others focused. He's so intentional about sacrifice and giving of himself for the betterment of others. We do not naturally head in that direction. And so today, a little bit is about us as followers of Christ doing something that's a, that's a church word, it's fine in the scriptures, but it's repenting. Repenting. This is where you're walking down one way and your heart is headed in one direction and then repent means to change your mind and turn into a different direction. And in order for us to have the heart of the Father, we have to recognize we're not headed in the heart direction of the Father and we need to. 
the, the scriptures talk about a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God will not despise. We all have to come to him and say, here's my heart. Change me. Show me. And so in Luke chapter 15, we get to see a picture of the Father's heart. Now, this is a very famous piece of scripture, and we started looking at it last week about the prodigal son. The prodigal son. And it's a passage of scripture in Luke that starts off with Jesus sitting with Pharisees. And the Pharisees represent church people, religious closed communities that struggle with outsiders or people who don't follow the rules being included in the ministry of Jesus. That's what the Pharisees represent. They had good intentions, but they believed in being separate. They believed in closing the community. They believed it was about them. They had fallen really hard into the gravitational pull of a closed community. And Jesus sits with them and he challenges them because they start to mutter that this religious leader is sitting with these broken, sinful, outcast type of people. So Jesus gets kind of ridiculed, he gets put under the microscope, he gets asked questions by the religious leaders, and then Jesus moves into a beautiful number of stories, starting with a lost sheep and how a, a shepherd who loves his sheep would leave the 99 to go after the one, and then a lost coin, if someone lost a coin, a valuable piece of a jewelry in their home, they would sweep the house to look for it. The whole picture in those two stories is that these people, the shepherd and this person who lost this coin, are alarmed, they are moved, they start to look for this lost thing, and it changes the way they live. And then Jesus moves in one more piece to this picture and this story of the prodigal son. Now the prodigal son, the word prodigal means lavish, reckless love. And so there are some people who actually believe that it should be called the prodigal father because the main picture in the story is that after this son who runs away from his father uh, comes back, this, the father lavishly and recklessly loves his son. And so if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, I'm going I'm to speed us up because what Luke 15 does is it gives us a window into the heart of God. Now, one of the cool things about the scriptures is that it was intended to be that way because the author is someone who didn't live around Jesus. He didn't spend time with Jesus. He spent time with people who spent time with Jesus and, and some others, and he investigated the life of Christ. And what he found as he investigated the life of Christ was that Jesus was committed to reaching people not a part of the Jewish community. In fact, the book of Luke, as, as this, this doctor who wrote it, it has more about Gentiles, non-Jews, in it than any of the other Gospels. And so Luke intentionally wants to show us that Jesus is not all about a closed community. That Jesus is not all about us being for us for our sake. And so the prodigal son is the epitome of that messaging. It's the epitome of where the heart of God is and how he wants those Pharisees, those insiders, their hearts to change away from the gravitational pull to meet the heart of the father. And so the prodigal son goes like this. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. There's a man who had two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son comes to his father and says, I'd like my inheritance now. 
I'd like my inheritance right now. Which in those days was the same thing as saying, Dad, I don't respect you, and actually I would rather you be dead. It's like saying, Dad, I want what you're going to give me, not a relationship with you. I mean, you understand the picture here the entire time through Luke 15 is a picture of people who are all about themselves and a God who is all about the lost, the broken, the people who are far away. And so when we start with this son who turns away from the father and only wants something from him but doesn't want a relationship, it is an absolute picture of you and me and every person, how we enter into this world and we only want what God has to offer us, but if we're honest, we don't want a relationship with God. And so the son takes the inheritance that the father gives him, and the scriptures say, and Jesus tells the story, he goes off and he squanders it. He squanders it, which means he takes all of this money and all of this resource and he just, just crushes it and wastes it. He wastes it so bad he gets to the point where he has to get a job working in the worst type of industry, basically as a servant, doing horrible things that he doesn't want to do and not able to eat food that even animals eat. And he has this epiphany, and you can read about it in, in the story, where he goes, man, even my father's servants eat better than this because I'm not even able to eat what the pigs eat. So he took all that his father gave him, he goes and lives this reckless life, lavishly for a moment, and then eventually it's all gone and he ends up basically a slave. And he has an, a moment where he goes, okay, maybe my father would take me back and allow me to come and at least have a better position than where I am now, one of the servants. He's not thinking, you know, he's going to come back and be brought back into the family or that he's going to come back and be honored and respected. He's thinking, I don't deserve this. I am, I am a, a horrible son, and I, I just want to come back and get at least the bare minimum because I certainly ruined this. There's a commentary on what happens with guilt in all of our lives when we run away from God for a really long time and we think that getting goodness from God actually depends upon our behavior. The son doesn't understand the great and wonderful love of the father. And so the story happens of the son, he comes home. And the scriptures say that the father was looking for the son. That he saw the son when he returned. And what this, what this tells us in the story is that the father, who is a busy man, who who runs this farm or this, whatever he, he does in his, his work. He has servants, he has people, he has responsibilities. He obviously has another son. He's married. I mean, the guy's a busy guy. He has lots of resource. And the picture of the father seeing the son says that the father, in all of his work, in all of his, his time, in all of his energy, in all of his effort, in, in all of his schedule, that he would, in fact, spend such a large amount of time waiting and looking for his son to return that when the son came home randomly, he happened to be standing there waiting for him. This is the heart of the father that says nothing else matters. 
what I do every day, who's around me, doesn't matter. He stands there waiting. And I have this picture of like the father waking up in the morning and, and taking two hours before breakfast and going and waiting for his son and then going to work a little bit and then coming back for lunch and taking a long lunch and eating his lunch up on a hill, looking down for when the son returns. And then maybe going back to work for a little bit, but then not doing dinner. And I can just feel and hear the wife going, sweetie, come back home. He's gone. Come back home. He's gone. And the father just couldn't. He just had to go and look. And so when the son comes home, the father has been waiting. And the scriptures say that the father ran to him. Ran to him. It's, it's, it's a picture of the heart of God. That God is waiting, looking, wanting, burdened, passionate about reaching the son who's far off. And he runs to him, and I just see this picture. I just feel this, this, this picture of, of the father embracing the son. And the son immediately says, I don't deserve this, and, and I've squandered everything, and I just want to have just the, the bare minimum of whatever it looks like to be here, not as your son, but as a slave. Before the son can finish, the father says a great word. He says, quick, quick, as if he has some of the people that work with him around and they watch them embrace and they're crying and the son is falling on the ground and the father lifts him up and says, quick, quick, bring him our best clothes. Quick, bring him jewelry, clean him off. Go get the fattened calf, he says. The calf that was set aside for celebration. Tonight is the night we're gonna celebrate my son is home. The father of the father of, of, of this son shows him before he can even finish his words what his heart is. And so they go and they, they start to celebrate. And, and I, I, I view this celebration like in, in the movie Beauty and the Beast when they're in the tavern. Because they're like in the tavern and the lights are on and rah, and they've got the mugs and they're dancing and clicking their heels and they're celebrating and there's so much noise and it's so jovial and wonderful. The older son is walking towards the house and he wasn't inside and he hears the music. And this, the scriptures say that the son gets angry as he talks to his servant. The older son gets upset what is going on here? They're celebrating? How could he do this? He's celebrating my brother? And the servant's like, yeah, he's here, man. It's better. We're back. We're on. Your brother came home. And this is where the story picks up when he learns about the celebration. The older brother became so angry at the celebration, and he refused to go in. He became bitter. This is a picture of the Pharisees. Do you understand? When Jesus says this, they may not get it in the moment, but as they were walking away that day, they thought, I think I'm the older son because I'm the one who muttered. I'm the one who muttered about Jesus spending time with broken outcasts. He became angry. He refused to go in. Where? To the party. 
So here's the heart of God. The heart of God leaves the table of celebration. He leaves and he goes out to the older son and he pleads with him. And the father says to the son, son, it's time. You're missing. You're missing this. And, and, and more than him missing it, the father sees in his son's broken, bitter refusal to celebrate that his heart is hard. And when he pleads with him, he's saying, I want you to have my heart. You're not celebrating the right thing. This is when we should celebrate. This is why we're here. This is what I've been waiting for. Join me. When he pleads with him, the language of the Father in heaven starts to pour down onto every one of us. Every one of us, the language of God starts to pour down as he's pleading with every single insider-focused person that goes to church that doesn't have a burden for the loss, and he says, you gotta come and celebrate with me. You're missing it. God wants his kids to have his heart. Repent. Your heart is hard. It's moving in the wrong direction. You're insular. You're closed. It's about us, not Jesus, because Jesus' heart is broken for the lost son. This is the, the message. This is the cleansing that we need. Every one of us in here need this today. We need to ask real questions about our burden, about our focus. And it goes on like this, and the father starts to have this, this dialogue. He says, my son, you are always with me. You are always with me. He says, you've been here. You're bitter about not celebrating You've been with me, and, and you have everything that, that you need. What happened where you got so focused on just staying content with you that you lost a burden for your brother who's not here? You missed something. You, you're, you're here. What do you need? What else do you need? This is kind of the, come on, you already have that. You guys are getting the fattened calf for him, and he got your purple robe, and he got the best jewelry. Son, you have the best bedroom and the best corner of the house and the best horse. What, what else do you want? You've been here the whole time. You're missing it. Here's the thing about God. And this is the thing that every one of us who is in this place and, and in this relationship with Jesus the Father is not looking for us. He already has us. And what he wants us to do is gain his heart. Gain his heart. Because it's his heart that brought us to the table. And he wants us to join him at the table so that others can join us at the table. He says, You've been here. What are you struggling with? This is not about you. You already have everything you need. 
you're closed off. You're missing my heart. But we had to celebrate. No excuses. We absolutely had to celebrate because this is what I care about. This is what I care about. Son, you've watched me. You've watched me. You've seen us do silly skits and and do music that makes sense and do messages that are memorable. You've seen us do all of this stuff. Why? Because we care about the people who don't care. Because we care about the people who have broken hearts because we want them to engage in this relationship with God. And earlier in, in this story that Jesus tells, He says that when the sheep comes home and the lost coin is found, that there's more celebrating in heaven over one repentant soul than 99 who don't need to repent. Because you're here. We're not celebrating all the 99 sheep that are still here. We're celebrating the one who was lost and now is found. C.S. Lewis says joy is the serious business in heaven. Here's what happens when one joins us. God lights up the sky. There's rejoicing. There's people up there giving praise and angels giving praise, watching hearts go from lost to found, watching hearts go from dead to alive. They go, that's it. That's it. There it is. That's the greatest move in the history of the world. Yes, everybody celebrates their birthday from the day they're born, but they don't have a birthday if they're never born. Let's celebrate. We have life. We have life. This is good. And what God says to you and to me and to the older son is he says, this table, we have to celebrate. I live and I die for this celebration. I came out of heaven and gave my life so that people could have life. And in this moment, he says, you're supposed to care about what I care about. And then he turns us and he he puts it in the son's hands. He, he puts it in the son's mind. He, he makes it the son's responsibility because when he's arguing with the, the other servant and he's arguing with the father, he says, this son of yours, this son of yours, he did all these bad things. He went off and left. And the father turns and he says, no, no, we had to celebrate, not because of this son, but because of your brother, your brother. And what the father is trying to communicate is, this is not just another person. This is your brother. This is someone who should matter to you. You should have a burden. You see, I want every one of my kids to have my heart. And my heart for my kids is that my kids would love one another. Don't disassociate yourself with these people who are lost by just calling them lost children of God. Those aren't just lost children of God. That's your brother. That's your sister. Match my heart for them. I have the same heart for them, God says, as I do for you. Match my heart for you with them. Immediately, this is a picture of 
the sun wrestling through the insular nature of what about me and us and mine? He says, we absolutely had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead. Now when you hear that, you, you might think this just colorful language, but the picture of, of this son being dead is, is a reality that the father in the story is going through. Every day he went and waited for his son. He wrestled through the reality, the possibility that his son might be dead, literally dead. Have you ever been there just in a real life scenario with a brother? I actually have a brother who, who struggles and, and has struggled a long time in our family and he's been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and, and he's run away from us and we have gone months and there were some years where we thought he's dead. He spent one um, period of six months sleeping on a beach in California and we didn't find out until a year later. We thought he was dead at times. We thought Jake was dead. We get phone calls from weird area codes thinking here it is. Here it is. One time we got a phone call from Tennessee and there was a police officer and they said, we found your brother in the woods and then he went off and laid inside the vestibule of a college campus and we had to put him into, into jail here. You need to come and get him. And when we got that call, we went, he's alive. And my dad, my dad came to me and he said, Joel, come with me to get Jake out of jail. And you know what he said? That's your brother. That's your brother, man. That's your brother. And I remember, I was in high school, and I remember thinking, I got stuff to do. I'm in high school. I mean, that's what I thought. I thought, man, I got, like, homework and sports. My dad said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. Dad. Brother, we thought he was dead. Now he's alive. You're gonna go with me. You're gonna go get him. It was in that moment I realized that I didn't have my father's heart for my brother. When someone who's spiritually separated from God, which means they're spiritually dead, joins their father and experiences new life. Heaven says that is everything. That's why we celebrate. Because they were dead. Now they're alive. Because they were lost. And now they're found. And the idea of being lost and then being found means someone knows you. Someone can care about you. You're in the community. Lost means you're set aside and unnurtured. In the community means you're found and loved. God wants us to have that heart. So my question for you, is when you think about the local church and the community in this box, is your heart 
inside of it? Or is it outside? Because that's where God is. Because he's telling every one of us, you're found. You have everything. We've got to celebrate. We need a heart shift. To help Jesus build, we have to have the heart of the Father. And this is where we're headed. This right here is where we're headed. We're going to cultivate in everything we do. Jesus followers who are passionate, who suffer for reaching people who don't follow Jesus. And the vision, the, the literal interpretation, what I see, the vision is a group of people with the heart of the Father burdened for someone over something. Burdened for a person, not a place. Literally moved to see the dead come alive. That's where I want to take our hearts. That's where I think God wants to take our hearts. And so today, we have a real life, living, moving, breathing story that represents God's heart. We're going to sing a song called Reckless Love. The band's going to come and do that. And then, at a certain point in the song, it's going to be a man named David Luckett who steps into a baptismal tank. And David Luckett is the prodigal son. He left the church many years ago, left his family, left it all, wanted nothing to do with the church. And he squandered his life. And then after his dad's prayer and after his time away, he got to that point where he just, something happened and he started to read the Bible again. And he came to church here because his father, Kurt, goes to church here. And his life got turned around. And he is here today to get baptized because because he was lost and now he's found. Because he was dead and now he's alive. And the beauty of this, the beauty of this is that his father, Kurt, is going to baptize him. Yeah? So here's the deal, man. To have the heart of the Father, we have to care about what he cares for and who he cares for. What we're going to see is a living example of a son who ran away from God and his literal father, and that through waiting and through the heart of the living God has returned and joined the local church, and he's not just joining the church. He actually serves because he lives the vision already. He believes in cultivating Christ followers who care about people who don't follow Christ. He sets up all those pieces of paper that are underneath your chair every Sunday morning. What? He wants to give back because of what happened to him. So we're going to sing this song. It is about the, the lost sheep. It's about the prodigal son. And then Kurt Luckett is going to baptize David Luckett. And we are going to celebrate. Are you guys with me?
Let me just say, let me say a prayer, and then and this band is going to come out. Father, we need your heart. We ask for forgiveness. We care about us more than we care about Jesus. We care about this community and the insular nature of it more than we care about reaching and being for people who aren't here. Change us. Make us like you.